The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Congratulations, David, for going over the 200 program mark this week. Your show has gone from zero to more than four million hits per program per month. Well, if you're a corporate sponsor and would like to reach a loyal, upscale international audience, primarily in Europe and America, then you are missing the best advertising vehicle on the planet. In discussion with David Gibbons. For more information, go to David Gibbons' homepage and click on Contact Us. Today, Matthew Simmons, founder and chairman of the board of the Ocean Energy Institute and former chairman emeritus of Simmons and Company International. Matt Simmons was past chairman of the National Ocean Industries Association and served as energy advisor to President George W. Bush, among others. Simmons is author of the book Twilight in the Desert, The Coming Saudi Oil Shock and the World Economy, which examines oil reserve decline rates to help raise awareness of the unreliability of Middle East oil reserves. Simmons is one of the top minds in the world when it comes to energy. His work has been followed internationally for over 35 years, and his company Simmons & Company International has served as co-manager on over $38 billion in public debt and equity offerings. Simmons & Company has also acted as financial advisor in $140 billion of transactions, including some 550 mergers and acquisitions worth over $97 billion. Scott Porter is a staff scientist at Louisiana University's Marine Consortium with over 21 years experience as an investigative biologist with an environmental survey company, Ecologic Environmental. He began as an oil field consultant whose zone of study includes the coastal Gulf states with a concentration in the Louisiana's estuaries and petroleum platforms. Through his services as an independent survey biologist specializing in biological resource analysis, he's collected over 5,000 biological reef samples and has over 3,000 scuba dives between 1988 and 2009. Mr. Porter holds a degree in marine biology. He's also discovered new species on the platform that have yet to be documented in the Gulf of Mexico and Atlantic Ocean. I'm also joined by Pat O'Brien, resident investigative reporter for In Discussion. Matthew Simmons and uh, Scott Porter, Pat O'Brien, welcome to you today to In Discussion. Thank you. Good to be with you again, David. Thank you, Pat. And Mr. Simmons, welcome to the show today. Thank you. May I start with you, uh, Mr. Porter? I understand that you have just returned from the Gulf last Thursday. Could you give us a brief overview of the conditions down there and your findings? Uh, yeah, I'd be, be glad to. Um, well, we went out of Grand Isle this time, and the reason I've been looking out of there is we found an invasive coral species there. And so... Uh, Yesterday, or a couple of days ago when we were out, we found a dispersant layer that's now 20 feet thick, and, um, and we found dispersed oil as deep as 100 feet, 120 feet on the video. It's, um, it's kind of congealed a little bit, looks like stringy noodles. And I studied this area, I guess the last time I visited was four weeks prior on the 14th of June, and the cloud was about 10 feet thick. But since then, we've had that 30-mile-long strip of oil that was headed towards Grand Isle. And, um, and they put booms out to keep the stuff off of the beach. But by doing that, they kept it all out in the, in the water column and then flying over it and spraying dispersant on it or however they, mm. you know, uh, put the dispersant on it to knock it down. It's now suspended 
in the water column about 20 feet thick or so. Can I ask you, Mr. Porter, sure. just our audience is worldwide. Could you just explain geographically where Grand Isle is? All right, Grand Isle is about, um, as the crow flies, it's about 80 miles or yeah, between 60 and 80 miles um, west of South Pass, out of Venice. So directly as the Mississippi River goes straight down and empties into the Gulf, the straightest path that it makes, Grand Isle is about, uh, or this particular Grand Isle block, which is 38 miles south of Fouchon, is, um, is directly west of the south of the Mississippi River, which is about 55 miles from the event. What is your general statement at this stage some 90 days into this of the general conditions there are they as bad as as we think that they are well um let's say uh i will not dive south and east of the river right now um, i don't even want to go out there with a, a decontaminant suit so in other um, words the oil contamination is going beyond the gulf into those estuaries into the rivers well no i'm i'm looking at reefs that are way offshore they're 40 miles offshore these are coral reefs that exist on the platforms that are out there and they're going to be the first that's affected and i'm seeing the barnacles that are um, submerged in this stuff the most up there at the surface uh, i'm finding you know a high mortality on the barnacle reef and um to give you a for instance, 20 days after the spill, uh, I dove out of Venice, and there was a 10 to 15 foot thick cloud there. I then went east of Venice into Main Pass, which was the um, the area that was mainly affected by the oil first, and it was a 25 to 30 foot thick cloud there. We took out the Associated Press for this one, and the, it blocked out so much sunlight that we were down at... Um, 50 and 60 feet and uh, could barely read our gauges. Before I turn to Mr. Simmons, could you tell me you had mentioned the materials being used. I'm guessing that you're talking about the Corexit. Right. What are the dangers of the Corexit and the combination of the oil and the methane, the methane in those waters? Yeah, you, you see, um, they keep telling us that the Corexite only has a 90-minute half-life. They keep talking about the half-life of the Corexite. Well, what about the other uh, compounds that are liberated from the oil? I mean, this is some of the nastiest oil I've ever seen. I don't know if it's the paraffin in it or what makes it as, as sticky as it is, but um, when we took Associated Press out and dove in it, it ruined my gear. Uh, my scuba gear is now from that trip is just ruined. I'm, you know, I've got to replace it. And, um, and I'm worried about the benzene or some other cyclohexenes that may be liberated by the um, solvents that they're using to break this stuff down. Could I turn to Mr. Simmons? Mr. Simmons, you've been following this and obviously you have great concerns on this situation down there. What are your conclusions at this stage? Well, I'll tell you my conclusions on the first day because I think that's an important starting place is having spent almost 40 years, over 40 years, working with oil service companies and offshore drilling contractors and, and helping finance them and merge them and save them from the bankruptcies era and so forth, Transocean turned out to be one of the best clients I've ever had when I was still personally managing their account. So when we saw the television morning news on the 21st of April and I heard this being described as a rig fire, I said to my wife, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The rig is on is in the water that's on fire. Is there some sort of catalytic event with these rigs? I, my only experience is being on a rig in the North Sea some 20 years ago, but what is the impact that has to take place to bring one of these rigs down? Oh, well, the, 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 the only, the only you, know, uh, uh, you know, similar thing was when Piper Alpha, that was, was a platform exploded for gas, from, and it was just enveloped in gas, and what it is effective is like, is like creating a blast furnace and putting, the, and putting a rig in the middle of it. Now, as far as the capping that they've achieved in the last 48 hours, what are your well, feelings all, on that? Well, first of all, when they, start, they, when they started describing this as a rig fire, I said, come on, give me a break. That rig has 700 gallons of diesel on it. That wouldn't be burning the Gulf of Mexico. And, when the, and then the, the, the courageous story that came out you know, a few weeks ago about, about the Transocean you know, senior employee that had come home and told his wife on shore leave, I don't think I'll make it back alive. He sat on that joystick and drove the rig 1,600 feet to the west so that people could safely jump into the water and not burn to death before he died. 
And then the, the water wagons were trying to blow the rig further west to get it out of the way of the fire, but it finally sank. What do you think are the long-term ramifications for well, that whole area? I think we now conclusively know from the from the various research vessels that have been that have been sent, particularly the Thomas Jefferson, is that there is no metal left in the wellbore. So we have an open hole. The government now has a now has gamma ray images of the actual blow-up preventer, which is five stories high and weighs 325 tons. And it's got two sections of casing that pierced all the way through five stories of iron. That's the pressure when this blew. And it's and from the best scientific measurements of how fast. See what what Scott's talking about is on the surface, which is basically basically probably the dispersion, you know, commingling with this with these bubbleless gas, you know, stuff. Down down about forty five hundred feet. There's four to five hundred feet of a lake of that same of that black black crude that we haven't seen yet. Now, is it possible that having capped this off, that it may... No, uh, no. For, first of all, the riser, the riser was basically... The, on the floor of the drilling rig was the riser that get, basically goes down a mile. And it's basically just pla- a plastic elastomer around the drill, st- the drill stem so that it doesn't break in a current. And it has a... If, if you need to move a rig during a hurricane, you just detach the riser from the blowout preventer and move along. So... When the when the blowout preventer blew, it obviously disconnected, and when the rig sank, you got a mile of tangled pipe, and they decided to blame the leak on the riser. Well, since I knew that the riser was 21 inches in diameter, and basically uh, uh, seven inches of pipe, I said to myself, "That is a gas plume that's three feet high. This is just a sham." Now, as far as the capping it off, though, you have this well, huge you, you, pressure. You, you capped is... it off, and now people know that there's no pressure there. There never was any pressure. Is it likely but, that the oil is going to come up at different locations? No, 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 the oil is coming up from the wellbore that's 7 to 10 miles away that was created by the drill bit when BP decided to, to use the, the Transocean Deepwater Horizon to finish off a job they deemed to be too risky in February. So in the long term, are we going to see this oil seepage well, continue? Well, until we... It, the only way that the scientists that, in the, that know about this stuff know how to actually stop an open hole blowout is one of two ways. Either wait till it depletes or put a nuclear bomb down to the oil column and set it off and you fuse the rock into glass and it's over. What do you see as the failures at the moment with this situation? Well, the, first of all, it's, it's, unfortunately, it apparently takes the Navy about six months to make that. They don't have their toolkit. But uh, other than that, we can wait. Now, when XTOP blew out back in 1979 down in the Bay of Campeche. That was one of the 40 wells of the, of the, of the Cantorell complex, which are all compartmentalized. And that was blowing at 80,000 barrels a day. And they tried all of these things and realized they just had to wait till reservoir pressure depleted. So 10 months later, it was over. If this is only a half a billion barrel field, and BP was hoping it was 25 billion and at 120,000 barrels a day, in 11 years, it would be over. What about the leadership in this situation? Has it failed, or what do you leadership? think there, or do you think that there are other forms of structure that could come in now and take care of this? No, I think it's too late. So, if it's too late, what what do you think the ramifications of this are over the next well, four or five all, months? Well, first of all, I think that, I think the Gulf of Mexico is now dead. I don't. I think the likelihood is it'll never recover. And what I about? Think we've got to stop the leak. We have then got to be very concerned about the human health. When this, when this stuff from the bottom comes up, it's bad enough for the stuff that we were hearing about on the surface. But when a hurricane comes, you, what the hurricanes always do is they sweep the cold water up. Well, this time it's not cold water, it's poisonous tar. And what about the materials they're using, this correction material? It didn't, it didn't, it, it didn't cause anything, it, didn't, it just made it worse. Going back to you, Mr. Porter, before I turn to Pat O'Brien, Mr. Porter, would you concur with those findings, with those conclusions for the Gulf of Mexico? Well, whether it's dead or not, um, you know, at this point, it, you can't say that it's dead because of all the life that's on our video below the um, surface there from 40 feet down. I mean, I've got just schools and schools of fish, so we'll see what happens to them. Um, I can say that uh, it, what he's saying is, you know, may not be far off the mark, you know, definitely from what's on the bottom. They won't let us near the, um, the location to kind of paint it with our sonar because we got some you know, pretty good sonar that could paint it if they would let us. Um, 
But, uh, you know, as far as, you know, what it's going to do, you know, yeah, if a hurricane stirs up and there's a bunch of black tar, if it's heavier than water, then it's black tar. What are the dangers to people in that area, Mr. Porter? You know, depending on how much bioaccumulation of the compounds that end up in the fish, you know, 40% of the fish, you know, on the uh, market in the United States come from the northern Gulf. So, um, we, you know... The, the potential is, is enormous. I mean, actually, what, what may event from it, that's what we have to determine. You know, exactly. You know, you've got to build models first, unfortunately. Let me bring in Pat O'Brien. Pat O'Brien, you're based down in Florida as an investigative journalist. Uh, what are your conclusions? What are people saying down in that area right now? It's the same old story. I, I know for a fact that uh, today... Uh, uh, actually Monday, the blackout of the story, since they had had some problems uh, on this rig, the story went from every other hour you've got information to where there is virtually little information that's being reported. Uh, And they use the word, they've had an anomaly, uh, but they aren't explaining what that anomaly is. Now that's scanning MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News. Um, So again, the the general public has no clue what's going on unless they're involved with the story itself. And you've also uh, got to have been really intimately involved with with offshore drilling to have any idea what things like drilling risers even are. Well, can I just turn back to you for a minute, Mr. Porter? You have indicated that you your equipment was damaged, that the toxicity is so high that is there a danger to, to yourself when you're in those waters? Yes, south, um, south of the Mississippi and east of the Mississippi uh, at day 20, some stuff that we dove in, it, it just, I mean, it stuck to my... Uh, stuck to my scuba gear, stuck to the regulator, started breaking down the rubber, uh, you know, the vulcanized rubber stuff that was there. Um, I mean, my dry suit, uh, you know, the, the collar on it's starting to get soft now because it's eating it up. And I just want dive south and east of the river. And now I'm worried about diving south of Grand Isle because, you know, that layer's twice as thick as it was a month ago. And, um, you know, it, like you said, I mean, there's a catastrophic potential of this stuff. If, if any more gets stirred up in the water and they put any more, you know, solvents in there to break it down, I mean, it, it, could, be, it could be, you know, highly catastrophic. If you're experiencing that out to sea, what are the effects upon people in those coastal regions? Do you think that there should be more visibility to alert people that they should not be in these areas anymore? Well, they just opened them up. They just opened a lot of it back up. Eighty percent, they opened back up to fishing. So um, that's why we're trying to work with a, a few universities right now that we can bring the fish in and have them test the tissues. We're trying to get the amber sampling bottles right now so that we can just take water samples from different depths out there so that they can give us models of what's happening. Are you being given the access to do that? Let's just say it's been very slow. Uh, but we're working on it. We may, we we believe we have the the right people's attention now that that they're starting to listen, you know, and realize that we're not going anywhere. We're going to be doing it anyway. We've got the video now. We just need the scientific data to back us up. Uh, Pat O'Brien in Florida. Do you think that there are great concerns over the oil reaching the shores of Florida? Well, I know I'm afraid, but um, again, I don't believe that uh, in general, from the business people I'm talking to, that they have a sense of just how bad this is, and that's why this program is very uh, vastly needed. Um, The truth has to come out about what the dangers are. Now, um, I'd like to address Mr. Porter. Are you, um, you're saying that the, the people that you're dealing with are, loosening up a little bit as far as allowing you to explore but i'm also hearing things for example uh that in the the seafood that's being tested uh to be shipped to other parts of the country that they're not testing for anything that may have been in the corrected product do you know if that's true well uh, i can't say that you know i can't can't speak to that end of it we haven't had those issues uh we, we haven't had people standing in our way. It's just not many people wanted to listen. And then finally, with the news media starting to pick up the story and start to tell it, 
then you gradually started having people become interested and say they want to help, but we actually haven't, you know, uh, the, the government hasn't, you know, stepped up to the plate quite yet. Um, some of these other wildlife um, people that want to save, you know, and protect the wildlife, they haven't been able to really step up and do much. You know, we've got birds that are dying on our barrier islands that they won't even allow the, the um, uh, reporters out on the island. When I was studying the reefs out there a couple of, uh, few days ago, we were 40 miles offshore. We had a team that was trying to get on the island with media, and the Water Patrol and Coast Guard ended up stopping them. So, Let me turn to Mr. Simmons. Mr. Simmons, do you think that BP are competent at this stage to continue leading this? Heavens, no. I've been saying from the first week we should basically ask them to get off the job, put the military in charge, and have the contractors. The, the technology is all in the contractors. The contractors are honest people, know what they're doing, and 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 don't let BP have any more access to our airways. We, would we let Iran, you know, uh, be be controlling the news if they were basically doing something in the Persian Gulf? No. The other place that would be interesting, maybe for uh, for for Scott to check, is the research scientists on on board the Thomas Jefferson, which is our most sophisticated research vessel, are probably the most in the know. They've actually been bringing up samples, not from the not from what you're talking about, but from right at the bed of the ocean floor, and they say it's just ghastly. And they also, have, you know, when, when they finally got within up, upwind as they were doing their first sweep, they all got sick. Mr. Simmons, you were energy advisor to President George W. Bush. Well, I, I advised him a lot when he was running for president. What do you think could have been done differently or would have been differently under a different administration? I don't, you know, I don't think anyone would knew, knew enough about this to know what to do, and they would have made the mistake, everyone would have made the mistake, of relying on the company, and BP had a good reputation, and they didn't with me, but they did with a lot of other people, and if someone else had spoken up, this is what I, that hurts me the most, is had I basically had two or three other senior people in the industry that were industry insiders say, you know, you know, I agree, there's, this is obviously an open hole, it could have made an enormous difference, but you know, I keep saying this. I mean, I know some of the senior public servants that know me well have passed my information on to the government. But if I were in the government, and that was the only person you heard from, I said, now, wait a second, there's a retired investment banker that lives down in Maine, and he saw something on television that no one else has seen. The guys must be crazy. What do you think the immediate solutions to this situation are? We've got to nuke the well borer. That's going to take six months to create the device. That's not dangerous at all. It's three miles underground. I mean, when I was growing up, we spent 20 years with underground hydrogen bomb testing uh, under Yucca Mountain, 100 miles north of, the, of Las Vegas. What we should have done from day one had we had an honest company, and I think any of the majors would have basically realized that if when this happened, and said, this is just a tragedy. The blowout preventer's gone, the casing's gone, and then we would have had 90 days to take the super tankers that are unloading on off loop and going home empty with two and a half million barrels a day of storage capacity could have really, and then we could have actually quickly realized we had to start on the nuclear bomb, but we didn't. We relied on BP and too many people still. I'll tell you an interesting story that I heard about a week ago. One of my best friends in Washington, D.C., Wayne Gibbons, who for 20 years was the head of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association, and Wayne is as sick about this as I am. Wayne said two, two weeks ago, he took kind of a unofficial survey of all his you know, energy friends in D.C., and about 80% of them think this is a green conspiracy to smear BP. What do you think the implications of some sort of uh, device like that would be? I would worry about seepage. Um, you know, I'm not, a, I can't, I'm not an expert on um, crustal geography or, uh, you know, the actual where the tectonic plates there are meeting yeah. or if there would be seepage or where, but I would definitely be worried about fallout. You know, radiation is it's definitely got a long half-life, so I mean, it would definitely be something I'd be worried about, but, I mean, you know, exactly what you know, ramifications it would have as far as, uh, um, you know, oh, oh, if it produced a wave or anything at the surface either, I, you know, I really couldn't say. Now, you've also said that they're opening up fishing uh, again in that area. Is that a sensible thing to do? I would say for the people here, they need to open it up and for us to get our best sampling, you know, because then we can go and take a, a, a broader uh, cross-section of samples, fish samples, 
um, the more people we've got going out there fishing, and then we could test it that way. Um, it's, you know, I'm not sure what they based it on, why they opened it back up. I know over here in our area, Terrebonne Parish and, and westward, you know, we're not really not affected by the um, by it on our inshore. And, um, and I know for some of the rodeos that's been fishing offshore, they've been able to go west, and, and they haven't uh, really been bothered by any oil or oil slick or, or any um, evidence there. So... Mr. Simmons, what do you think is behind the restrictions or the blackout on media? Why, why is this happening? BP. And how do you think that that can be corrected? I, I would basically make it illegal for them to be on any media anymore. I would basically, The first thing I would actually do, and I said this on Dylan Radigan's show this afternoon, if I were the Justice Department, I'd take depositions with the top 200 people because there must be a lot of people who would love to who just die and cry out and speak, but they don't, they don't get ret, ret, in retribution of BP. Uh, and what do you think about the livelihoods of people in this whole Gulf area? Do you think that people really are in trouble down there? Yeah, I think they're in big trouble because if a hurricane comes in inshore, it will most likely... What hurricanes do is they sweep up the cold water. This time it's going to be poisonous tar. Now, you know, there's uh, one, one other piece of information I think... Uh, my, the other guest would find interesting is when the when the LSU's research boat, no, research boat, the Pelican went out and went down to try to test these oil lakes they found. When it came up, it was just it was dripping with with tar. So it sounded sound, it was like your scuba suit, but it was yeah. coming from forty five feet underwater. Yeah, that's our Lumcon vessel. That, that's who I work through is Lumcon. Yeah. So so if the, if a hurricane comes, uh, you're going to shut down all the power plants. Because they, they ingest too much water. You're going to shut down the refineries, and you're going to entrap all the people along the Gulf Coast that can't get out of harm's way. Yeah, and Lord thing, knows how many people we could lose. Yeah, the thing with the hurricanes is we've lost our barrier islands. So mm-hmm. now the hurricane can push its way into large metropolitan areas. Yeah. I mean, Homa, where, where we're located now, has been historically the, t- the high ground. That's why it's called Terrebonne Parish, the yeah. good earth. But... They didn't rebuild the barrier islands like we proposed back in 2004. Yeah. You know, we told them they could rebuild the barrier islands with offshore oil revenues. Yeah. And they, you know, that got batted around, batted around, and just like this state normally does, they do a lot of studies and, and don't get a lot of action. Yeah. And at the, at the same time, we're also sitting at a situation where a hurricane coming in the right direction could swing around the okay. Florida loop and come back up the east side of Florida. Mr. Simmons, let me just ask you, in responsibility for these people in the Gulf area, what would you say would be sensible for them, their families to, and to, their children? To evacuate. And how many miles inland would you recommend? I don't recommend? know. I would, have someone, I would have someone try to do a, a testing of how, of, of how bad the methane could be and how fast it would. And I'd, I'd do a modeling and assume the worst. Now, do you think that the, that the oil is going to simply keep flowing, or do you think yeah, that it will run it, out? Because if it, first of all, if it's if it's a billion barrel field, let alone twenty five billion, it'll flow for decades. And so it could, if they're capping I mean, it off, where they're capping later, it off, we'll be able to walk across the Gulf of Mexico because it'll be tar. And and uh, as far as you're concerned, Mr. Porter, if that is the case, how do you think? What are the long term effects in the whole of the, the Gulf of Mexico? Cancer rates are going to increase. I mean, we already have pretty high cancer rate down here anyway, but. You know, um, cancer rates will probably increase. Um, respiratory illnesses, I'm sure. They'll have, you know, a lot of cases of that. And then by then, they'll do what they did in Alaska. You know, you'll have to fight it out in court because the $20 billion, that's really, if they put um, businesses, you know, how much businesses lose in that, I mean, that $20 billion wouldn't go very far at all. Oh, and then, they, you know, what they'll end up doing with the money is they'll do like they did with the $500 million they claimed to give to Louisiana, which went straight to LSU. They turned around um, just recently and said, "Oh yeah, remember that 500 million? No, that that's now part of that 20 billion." They said it was separate, but they ended up going back now and saying, "And that's what, you know, um, I've been trying to get them to pay for uh, for my scuba gear with their oil on it." And I mean, it's a runaround. The information that they want, um, I don't really believe they need right now from me. You know, wanting social security number and you know uh, specific details like that. That. 
I'm not ready to give out, and they, they don't want to hear anything about it until they get the information they want. How best, Mr. Simmons, do you think it is now to alert people in that entire area, just for now, to relocate? I, th I think you have to, because the odds are too high that we might have a hurricane, and the odds are too high when we do that, that what Scott has been talking about, you know, increases a hundredfold. And if you can't get away from it, it's not just methane, it's benzedrine, and all, it's, a, it's, a, it's very poisonous stuff. And, and uh, you, know, don't, you don't have to ingest much before you asphyxiate. Now, would you include in that uh, the state of Florida? Oh, I don't know. I guess I'd, I guess I'd say there must be some way to do a hurricane asphyxiate. But you know what? I remember years ago being hearing one of our great hurricane experts say that with all the technology, maybe 15 years ago, with all the technology we have, when you get inside the Gulf of Mexico, it's still spin a bottle. Our models basically go, you know, it can be off 90%. Exactly. So it's, I just think you dynamic, better basically say, because of that there. risk, maybe, let's say it's 20 miles. Evacuate everyone within, you know, you know from 20 miles you know, upwards, because, you know, it, it, it's interesting how when people get evacuated from hurricanes and, we, and, they, and, it doesn't, and it doesn't hit, they get mad when they come back. That's stupid. Now, are you suggesting that the military is essentially FEMA? Would that be the vehicle? I don't know who. I don't, I don't know who. I, you know, I guess what I would do, too, is I would ask, like happened after Haiti, if I were the government, I would ask former President Bush and former President Clinton to oversee this and have a general in the, from each branch of the, of the armed forces report to them. So you have two people that don't have any governmental responsibility, and you take all the partisanship out of this. Well, we've got we've got similar not where well, we don't have them right now, but BP has sent people down here from Alabama and these other places that are supposed to run the show, and they don't know local distributors and they don't know how to to pull local resources and um, you know and get people working on the same team. I mean, you know, when we start and, talking and, to them, they're and they're like, all oh, under they're under really they're all under gag orders. I'm sorry, they're under gag orders. Yeah, well. Got I mean, they, when we talk to them, they, they seem, you know, like they want the help. They're just, you know, they've got too much over their head. They don't have the contacts here. Yeah. Um, and as far as moving the people out of here, I mean, people are, they love this part of the country. It's going to be hard. It'd be hard-pressed to make yeah, that, that's why you Yeah, that's why you really can't just assume that people will sense danger and get in their car and leave. Yeah, one of the, one of the things, too, with the problem with Florida is there are many people that have come here to retire this is where their homes are, and their older people where uh, moving just isn't an option in their mind. They feel like the hurricane, we've been able to you know, weather hurricanes before, no big deal, everything will become okay. It's going to be very difficult to displace those people. Can I just come in here for one minute, gentlemen? And I'm going to start with you, Mr. Simmons, because I think the ultimate responsibility during this whole time now is to get people out of there, especially women and children. Yeah, me too. What is it that we need to tell our listeners today without putting the fear of God in them? Or I guess panic? I would basically say that there is genuine worry that there's no, not going to be a problem until a hurricane comes. But hurricanes can come quickly, so they ought to at least get their stuff packed up and figure out a, a way for you know to work in neighborhoods. And so, so if all of a sudden, remember, remember those you know things we used to get occasionally on on radio when you, during the Cold War. This is just a test. I mean, that's the kind of thing we get, need to be alert for, so that if we ever had something coming, we could say we have 72 hours to evacuate. Well, Mr. Simmons, at this stage, is it likely that when a hurricane does turn up, that there is going to be no court or action by the government or BP to alert people? Well, I, I mean, if they don't understand, they're not going to alert. And, uh, and, and BP might understand, but they don't want to tell anybody because they're going to get manslaughtered for this. And I'll take that question to Mr. Porter. What does it cost to evacuate? A thousand dollars? You have to have a thousand dollars on hand for fuel and hotel fees, and that's why the army has to do it. You know, and I agree that you know there are instances where they have to evacuate, but um, people down here are saying, "How do we afford that? Where do we go to get?" You know, I can't afford that. I can't leave my job because if I leave my job, I don't get paid. So, I mean, there those are the issues that stand in their way of leaving. They know they should leave, they just don't know how to afford it. Let me take that question to Pat O'Brien. Pat, you're in an area there right now which is 
largely unaffected. But uh, the, the same question, I, I'm a bit confused here. If this material, this combination of oil, corexit, methane, is as bad as we think it is, and I'm pretty sure that it is, what is it that's stopping families, children, women getting out of this area, even in Florida? Knowledge. knowledge. And again, uh, in, until the media starts telling the truth, and this was a... Uh, the big thing that uh, Mr. Simmons brought up also. Until the media starts telling us the facts, people are not going to be able to prepare themselves. And that is the, the scariest part of this whole thing. I'm sitting here with a ton of knowledge that we've uncovered over the month, and I know what it is. I'm trying to even um, talk to my closest friends and to get them to make a decision to be able to <laughs> at least like Mr. Simmons suggested, uh, you know, pack something and be ready to go. Um, they're, they're really, they're opposed to doing that. They think it's going to be okay. Without media giving us the truth, I believe we're in serious problems, and this disaster that's going to come is going to be of a magnitude that the United States has never seen. Mr. Simmons, do you think that the media, the main media, is ever going to be put into a position to actually alert people? After the fact. But I just, I just think what, what I also think could happen is each, each of the state governors could actually uh, organize now a, a plan with, with 72 hours notice to, to round up all of the school buses. Like in Florida, you don't have to evacuate Florida. You just have to leave West Florida and go to Central Florida. So, I mean, if, if it was one thing, if you had to evacuate the entire states of these, you couldn't do it. But if, you're, if, it, if it is 20 miles, and I have no idea whether it's 10, 20, 30, but, you know, if it gets in the ship channel, for instance, then Houston's 50 miles away, we'd be at risk. It seems amazing to me that there is no movement on this. And, well, and the... I don't think people understand. I mean, remember, it was only two weeks ago that BP was still telling us that they were spilling between five and 10,000 barrels a day, and that isn't a problem. So, in other words, the, the being solution-led here, the first thing is for people to be uh, ready The to first evacuate. thing is to kick BP out and let the, the, the truth come out. And do you think that that is likely? I think it's going to happen. I think the mood is really getting foul against BP today. Too many people have figured this out. If I can, David. Yes, uh, go ahead. Uh, Craig Fugate, who is the operator of FEMA, has been very much missed in this whole BP deal. We have unsubstantiated reports. I, I make that clear because everything we say here are a fact based on a prime source plus two other sources, everything we say. However, we are starting to connect a solid line between FEMA and the U.N. We already know of many places where vehicles are with U.N. logos on them are being staged at various places. We also know that one of the islands, uh, Costa Rica, is, uh, has a buildup of troops, and we believe although we cannot prove this yet, we believe there is a master plan for evacuation for these states. Once we prove that, we will be telling it right here on davidgibbons.org. Mm -hmm. However, I strongly believe that there is a play uh, that is in movement right now to do mass evacuation because they have to know yeah. how bad this situation yeah. Mr. Simmons, do you have access to the governors in those states? Uh, partially. Uh, do you think that they're going to be moved? Uh, I, I know, I, I don't personally know uh, Governor Jindal, but I have a lot of friends that know him and say he is just, for, and he is just, you know, he's caught up in this every single second. I'm told Haley Barber does the same thing. I'm told uh, that, that, uh, that uh, uh, Governor Christ uh, is the same. So it doesn't. And first of all, I don't think there's any reason to basically start telling people when they have to move. But I'm really glad to hear that they're actually putting putting the steps in place because we're you know we should have 72 to 48 plus hours notice. So if, as long as we have a plan in place, we could do this. Mr. Porter, you were down there last week. What is the general feelings of people that you were working with that you were coming across? You know, I'm 
Well, they they still have confidence in Jindal. Um, he's a pretty you know no nonsense kind of guy from um, from when he was in you know the government before, and um, so we trust him. Uh, we we haven't heard anything of you know even questions about evacuations down here, and um, you know as far as the media goes, there are those that can't talk to the media, but there are others of us that um, the media you know they are they're giving us access and and mm-hmm. they'll tell the story. The um, the only issue is we need to be able to you know back it up with um, you know hard data, and that's what's been the hardest to come by right now is just getting the ball rolling for people well, to the do the problem is the only hard data is owned by BP exactly yeah. yeah and that's where it won't that's where it stops yeah right? Mr. we're willing to tell the story and we're, we're alluding to what's there but now give us the hard scientific data we hit a wall Mr. Simmons let me ask you what is the primary reason why we are where we are in this world today with what we're seeing with BP in this this crisis well, first of all, the, the, uh, we, have, we have drilled up all the easy oil left on Earth. So what we're now doing are projects that are extremely risky and, as the last frontier. And when we basically started down below about 600 feet water dips in offshore drilling, we, we, never, we never invented a fire truck. And when we started going to these deep pressures, we never envisioned that we basically would ever have pressures that we should have known we would have if we found oil. So the industry, because its safety record had been so good, it, it just it it, it 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 forgot about the inherent risk uh, of, of of what we were dealing with, and uh, and 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 in, so any company would have had problems. BP in particular got consumed about cost cutting. Now, at BP's position today. How do you think that they're thinking? What what are they thinking here? That uh, they're, they're that still in control. Is, is there a way? We can blame this on a big crack in the earth as opposed to an open hole. I think we've convinced the world that the drilling riser has, has fixed it. If we weren't, if the damn oil wasn't still showing up, we could actually just say we won. But now we've got to deal with what do we what do we say about this oil? So they're they're getting deeper and deeper and deeper in the big lie. Pat O'Brien, what do you think that the future is going to be for those coastlines on at least on the eastern shores of Florida? A lot of it is going to, re, um, it, it, as Mr. Simmons had pointed out, Mr. Porter has pointed out, a lot of it is going to be, um, this is supposed to be the worst hurricane season in 22 years. Uh, one major hurricane is going to tell the difference, and I think um, that uh, we will be all in serious problems throughout the Gulf Coast, including the eastern portion of Florida, when it happens. Uh, there was a report uh, Monday of oil coming into Marathon Beach in the Florida Keys. Mm-hmm. Uh, that didn't hit Key West. Marathon is above the Keys, but it's very close to Key West. Um, we Key don't West. know if that oil had anything to do with this or not, but it is one of the places that the, and the oil is supposed to touch if it goes into the Gulf Loop. We don't know for sure because we're not getting valid information of whether it is in the Gulf Loop or not. You know, but I, if it should happen, um, it will cover the coast of the eastern part of the state of Florida. I heard a really interesting story from a, from a reporter in, in uh, uh, Fort Lauderdale about 10 days ago who, uh, who, who uh, I'd met when I was speaking at an Energy Ocean conference there, and he called me for a more in-depth. And he, he said, have you heard the result, unbelievable results of the fishermen off the east coast of Florida? We're seeing species of fish that have never been here before, bluefin tuna. They must have been getting out of harm's way. Maybe they carried some of the oil through. That is possible from what I've heard from other scientists. But in addition to that, because of the lack of oxygen caused by the methane, yeah. many species of fish are getting closer to the shoreline so that they can breathe. Yeah, That's the same with porpoise. And uh, yeah. we're seeing tremendous amount of sharks close to the uh, uh, shoreline that normally would be deeper into the sea. Uh, We're seeing whales that are uh, reacting the same way. Again, species of fish that we've never seen right off the shore. And with that is the the methane and the lack of oxygen. Mr. Porter, can I just ask you, please, what is the recovery time on this situation in the Gulf from what you're seeing? Are we talking about decades? You know, it depends on how much that affects the reproduction cycle. Um, They can run from the... the, environmental dynamic you know um conditions but 
Um, whether the benzene or other things tend to affect the reproduction rate or the growth of the fish larva or the maturation of the eggs. Um, you know, you could see it, you know, for a decade here we could be affected. Um, you know, and, and then there's the carbon sequestration. You know, uh, all the algae that the Gulf of Mexico produces also helps, you know, sequester carbon. And if this stuff is at the uh, surface blocking out the sunlight, you don't get as much uh, algae buildups, I mean, algae growth. And well, as I close down the program here, I'd like to turn to you, Mr. Simmons. For people in Florida or that whole area, we're basically saying to them, don't panic, but, but certainly, cer- certainly have preparations. Could you just define what people should be doing right now to prepare? Yeah, the one thing they could actually do is get a gas mask. They're very inexpensive. Uh, and they're and they're and they're good protection. And how about the way that f- the hurricanes come into that area? Is there any advance notice? Uh, sure. Yeah. We. I mean, we, when a hurricane forms, I mean, I don't. I don't know what the fastest we've ever had, but generally, you have four or five days. No. When a hurricane forms, the worst thing we should do is is listen to the weather service prediction because the accuracy of that is plus or minus ninety percent. So, you three gentlemen, let me ask you, starting with Pat O'Brien. Pat, would it be sensible at this stage then to alert people that prior to the next hurricane they really should consider, for now, just relocating? My wife and I have a gas mask, and uh, we have it. I hope it's the right one, uh, one that would prevent mold is the one that we have. Um, and I do believe that that is the first piece of equipment that everyone should have. What about this? What about the suggestion that people should, before the next hurricane arrives, consider leaving for now? I, I have no doubt in my mind that they should. Uh, with the number of scientists that we've had on this program saying exactly the same thing, that we must be prepared, literally all across the Gulf Coast. And Mr. Porter, in your opinion, would you concur with that? Uh, yeah, I'd say um, people living from Cocodree, Louisiana, eastward to um, well past Mississippi, maybe even Alabama, I'd say those, those coastal regions um, are in for a, a, a hard, hard hit with the water and the oil on top of it when, when an, a hurricane hits. There will be a hurricane. It's just a matter of when. And Mr. Simmons? Here's the, here's the single biggest threat. Is About four weeks ago, there was a brief announcement that there are 18 power plants along the Gulf Coast that have actually studied this orangey stuff, and it get, if it gets within about a quarter of a mile of their power plants, they have to shut them down. Otherwise, they'll get shut down permanently. That also means your refineries. So we'd have a blackout and a fuel shortage, exactly. and therefore there's no way to get out of harm's way then. So you have to get a jump on it. Mr. Simmons, looking into the future, looking at the way that the corporate mansion is, is working, and it's not working too well these days, what do you think ultimately is going to come out of this situation? I think, I think ultimately we're going to come out with the realization that the, that the age of fossil fuel was ending, and we need a whole new, you know, uh, you know, way, and that's why I'm so excited about what we're doing here on the ocean, on energy in the ocean from clean ways. It can work, it can be the future, but we have to get going on it fast. Now, do you believe that this is going to be the wake-up call not only for America, but the whole world? Yeah, I actually do. I, th- I think I'm, I've been amazed at how riveted people around the world have been on this story, and I think we've had a lot of other stories before that have been ho-hum. So I think this is the wake-up call. And what about that relationship between the government and the corporate sector? Do you think that that will change now as this I, I think this we worsens? need a change. I, I mean, first of all, there are a lot of good corporations, but there are a lot that aren't. And what about technology? Uh, how do Techno- you think the technology... Technology has been fabulous, but we got way ahead of ourselves. So we have a foot race now to see if we can get technology up to snuff. Look at what Petrobras is doing. They're creating, as we speak, started two years ago, a whole new generation of technology so they can safely go down to the 2B where they're experienced 900 degree Fahrenheit and extreme pressures. So, you know, so they planned ahead. We didn't. Scott Porter, uh, finally, would you just give our listeners worldwide a general description of what you saw last week in the area? Yeah, I, I dove uh, 38 miles south of Fouchon, and I had to pass through a 20-foot cloud of green-brown, what I think is uh, dispersant and oil seawater solution, um, under that, hitting it about 30 feet, it opened back up to clear blue water, and we'd put the ROV well down past 150 feet. 
And even though it was clear and blue and a lot of fish, a lot of grouper and snapper and, you know, the normal reef fish that we would see, there were still stringy noodles of um, what looked like dispersed oil, like snot. It was still um, evident throughout the water column through there. Do you believe that this situation is an opportunity for us as mankind to learn from this and to move forward and have a better world? I say it's not only an opportunity, it's ringing the bell that we need to, you know, address some of these other issues. And, you know, we're talking about clean energy. The platforms where they were drilling the wells, it's, it's, a, it's a life now. It, it's got a reef that lives around it. And so by pulling it out, we remove not only the reef that's there, that the life, the fish, the shark habitat, um, but you remove the potential for clean energy. There's wave energy potential right there. Having a structure installed, you can capture clean wave energy. You can put a windmill on top of this structure uh, and capture clean wind energy. The structure's already there. Matthew Simmons, do you, would you concur that we are looking at the greatest opportunity possibly that we've yep. had in hundreds I, of years? I, I ironically have been saying for the previous two or three months before April 20th that we were sort of badly in need of an energy Pearl Harbor to wake ourselves up. We got one on April 20th. Do you believe that this situation may just decrease the problems that we have in this world at the moment with greed, with the way that business yeah, works? Yeah, I think it might. I think that might scare so many people that we basically just become better people. And, you know, and I tell you, I just can't tell you what, what we're doing on ocean energy. It's cold water, bringing up cold water, and also creating through deep water offshore wind, distilled seawater and liquid ammonia to replace motor gasoline, jet fuel, and diesel. And that really is the wave of the future, and it's clean. So our message to everybody listening today is that despite the dire circumstances, we have everything and all the opportunities to look forward to. Pat O'Brien, finally in Florida, any other news that you have for the day? Mr. Simmons just brought up a, a term, a Petrobras, which we are well aware of. Um, can you give me a little bit of an overview from your perspective on Petrobras very quickly? Yes, they're a state oil company that was founded 20 years ago in Brazil. They started from nowhere, and they've grown to be the most respected, technically competent oil company in the world. And they basically have all of their strategy based on three principles. The, the, the importance of their people, so they have the best training programs, they have the best recruiting research, they fund research from almost every university in Brazil, and our, and our special relationship with our, with our partners, the vendors. They're working with the same companies BP blamed to develop a you know, Transocean, Cameron, Halliburton, to create a whole new generation of equipment so they can safely do this. So they are a first-rate company. Well, there, gentlemen, I have to uh, finish the program. Matthew Simmons, Pat O'Brien, Scott Porter, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, David. And to our listeners, I hope this has been informative. I think the general conclusion here is that to be aware of the conditions, the chemicals, this is not a time for panic, but it's certainly a time to consider options while this plays through. And after a while, we'll all be able to return to those beautiful areas in that neck of the woods and have a real future ahead of us. If you need information on this or any other program in the series, you can visit davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Can you imagine your message reaching an international audience with over 4 million impressions per month per program on the most influential radio show on the Internet and have a link to your corporate website on the homepage? That's what you get when you are on In Discussion with David Gibbons. Not only that... But David's audience gets to hear about your corporation each quarter. For more information, go to David Gibbons' homepage and click on Contact Us. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.